In place of a reading this morning, we would like to offer you a short video clip. Just think about this, that what if you becoming awake, what if you becoming evolved, what if you, what if the world depended upon you waking up? And I say it does. Agape, it's a Greek word that means unconditional love. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. described agape as the love of God operating in the human heart. We believe that uh, we're here to wake up to our true nature and being and then participate fully in the society in which we live. This has been going on for over 21 years and it feels as though that we're just getting started. By the title, you're, you're aware that the book is about spiritual liberation. Not religiosity, but liberation. It's about unlocking the gifts and the beauty intelligence, the capacity within us, along with spiritual practices that set us free to become more ourselves. There is an evolutionary impulse that governs the universe. Some call it God. Some call it life itself. But we're at a stage of our unfoldment where we can consciously practice, consciously participate in our own evolution, in our own unfoldment. And as we wake up, we can be individuals who are pulling society further so that your awakening not only affects you and your family and your associations, but your awakening affects the entire planet. We're all connected. When people ask, how do I practice my belief? I have to first of all say your belief leads you to a level of practice. I believe we're connected to life. Therefore, I meditate every day. I pray every day. That prayer allows me to have an insight and a revelation into a deeper dimension of my own being, which then does what? Allows me to be more creative and to be of greater service. So belief becomes insight, becomes creativity, becomes service. You'll want to get tickets to see Reverend Michael Beckwith live. This morning's speaker... He is a senior minister here, spiritual leader and executive director. Please join me in welcoming Reverend Patrick Cameron. It is a beautiful day in the neighborhood, is it not? So nice to see so many beautiful people. Great looking crowd. All right. So what I'm going to invite you to do with me in this moment, if you'd like to, is sing a song. If you've been here before, you know the song. As Paul Pringle always accuses me, it's the only one I know. But that's not true. I do know Happy Birthday as well as this one. And if you'd like to stand and do that with me, that's great. And if you'd like to stay seated, please feel comfortable doing that as well. In this very room. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love. And quite enough power to walk through our every fear. 
For spirit, one spirit is in this very room, in this very room, in this very room. And so I invite you to know with me, one life, that life is God's life. That life is perfect. That life is our life, my life now. And so I celebrate that. I stand grounded in the present moment, fully, fully present in my physical being. In this present moment, the eternal moment. And I know as I bask in that awareness, as I allow myself this gift of the present, this gift of the present, what is seeking to inform me has its way by means of me. I remember who I am and whose I am, and that I am okay. I live and have and move my being from I am grounded in the truth of my being, nothing to fix. I am in that perfect love in my imperfect relationships, and it's perfect. For this I give thanks and I release these words knowing every good thing that is right and perfect for each and every one of us to have revealed by means of that inner knowing, that inner conversation, and all of the other things that are showing up to inform us is right and perfect. For this I give thanks, and together we say, and so it is. Please be seated. Thank you, Brown. So we have been looking at the book, the little book on meaning this month, and it's a wonderful, wonderful story in here about that Laura Berman Fortang Fort Gang has written about her journey, her experience. She's a uh, former actress, performer, became a uh, interdenominational minister in, in her story. And this week is the, the idea that I am here to be seen, the idea about showing up and being seen in the world. And it's interesting, my experience has been that most of my life, I have lived from the perspective, when I get up in the morning, I either have lived from this perspective, I'm okay, or I'm not okay. Anybody else ever done that? You get up in the morning, and, you, and you, sometimes you're not even aware you're doing it, but we get up, and if we have problems, usually that suggests to us we're not okay. Got to fix them. We got to get things righted. We got to you know, move things around. We got to talk somebody into it. We got to hope it goes our way. You know, my form of prayer used to be as a young man, please, God, if you get me out of this one, I will never do this again. <laughs> and so my form of prayer has changed. Because I realized that the God that I, I grew up with and the God that I presently am, am in relationship with are completely different. And yet they're the same. God hasn't changed. I've changed. My, perspe my perception has changed. Someone in class this week, one of the classes said to me, well, you know, I don't think there's such a thing as separation. It's perception. I said, absolutely. It's our perception that we're separate. It's also our perception that we're not okay. There's something that we have to fix. There's something we have to earn that uh, gives us something interesting to chew on. And we're so used to, my, my experience has been, I'm so used to chewing on it that why would I want to chew on anything else? This is so enjoyable. That I'm not okay. And I get to go fix it. Do you like that, Julie? Do you like to fix the not okay? It gets pretty boring. In this book on I, I'm Here to Be Seen, she talks about it. And when we had the Mamesa Choir here, they, they, I asked Tammy Banting how to greet them, and it was Sabona. And Sabona means I see you. And then the reply is in Johnny, which is, I have been seen. Thank you. 
So it's their whole, their whole greeting in that uh, certain cultures around the world. I see you. I'm here to be seen. And so how, what wants to be seen? What wants to be revealed? And see, I think we have, I think as Dr. Michael Beck was said, we have an opportunity to wake up and keep waking up. And the journey never ends, but that's exciting because it never gets boring. You'd like to take a break once in a while. And you can do that. You can go back to sleep for a little while. I've done that. Man, I wish I didn't know what I know so I can just go back to sleep and live by the law of averages once again. Because the challenge with this teaching, I don't know if you've noticed or not, but if things aren't working, who do we get to blame? Ah, sometimes you just don't want to blame yourself. You know what I mean? But that's, that, that's that, that race consciousness thinking once again. Because if things aren't working, it's just something more to be revealed. If things show up in our lives that are incongruent or there's a pattern that keeps repeating itself, that's our, that's our curriculum for the, for the moment. That may be our curriculum for the next eight weeks, maybe 16 weeks. Maybe we need a whole year of, of anxiety and fear. But what I, I think is important for us to do is to, to affirm daily that to live, put down the anxiety and the worry so I can live in the light and the freedom. But how do we do that? Because it's so easy to talk about it. We come together. It's a wonderful community. You walk into this wall of unconditional love and acceptance as you walk in here. And I know that. And then you go back out in the world. And you, you have to drive in traffic. You have certain people in your lives. You know, uh, Laura Berman Fortgang says that, you know, it's easy. Romantic love is easy. Anybody here ever fell in lo- fallen in love romantically? Me too. Gans is with me there. He's done it too. So you and I got the thing going. The rest of you, you just watch and maybe some of this will land somewhere with you. But it's easy. Romantic love is easy. You know, you watch a movie and it's so popular. This idea that you meet the right one and then you go out, you you travel off into the sunset together, live happily ever after, fairy tales as kids and all those stories. It's easy. And then sex. Anybody ever ever had sex besides me? (laughs) It's easy. Doesn't even require love doesn't. Look at the world. Look at the world. The way the world has unfolded. It really doesn't. And yet all of these activities, including sex, can be a sacred coming together. There's nothing more beautiful. There's nothing more beautiful than being in that beautiful, deep relationship with another person. And so deeply drawn to that and called to that, that you, you merge. Physically, you merge. And so what, we, what happens when we come together here, when we're in this deep conversation, our souls can mingle. But what's required for that is trust and openness and willingness. And what happens, what restricts that is this idea, I'm not okay. I've got to fix here. And so if we can understand that everything that has come along for us, because the destination is openness. The destination, our birthright is freedom and openness. But we, what we, we are confronted with in the culture are so many people living from I'm not okay. It becomes really easy to, to reflect their sharing and then identify with it and say, you know what? Hmm, I think I'm broken there too. I think I got a problem there too. I mean, if we look at addictions in our, our culture, if someone has a drinking problem, what's that longing? What is that energy? Why would we want to numb ourselves out? Well, I think what happens is we are not, we are not trained as children and, and young adults and, and, and growing up. How do we deal with that sense of I'm not okay? So one of the ways to deal with it is I'm going to numb myself out. I'm going to go to sleep. So we can go to sleep with television. We can go to sleep with food. We can go to sleep with sex. We can go to sleep with all kinds of addictive behavior. But if we understand and have the tools so that when it shows up for us to use it as part of our curriculum, then we become more of the the emissary of this spiritual manifestation individualized on this planet that's seeking expression right now. And we've reached a point, I believe, in our evolution where it's no longer an option. It's required. 
And your waking up is my waking up. And so it's to be so fully alive with this, with this teaching, so fully alive with who and what we are, because the teaching does identify the truth of our being, who we are and whose we are. We're the individualized expression of the one. And everything that shows up in my life, each one of us has gifts and talents. And so I'm here to express those gifts and talents. When I, I, I forget, I pull back because I get confused I'm not good enough. And then I can't express it fully. And it's to live in the freedom. And it's a journey. It's a lifelong journey. And it's a great journey. Because once you understand it, then you don't waste so much time beating yourself up. I'm no good. This last week, I shared a little bit last week. I was very touched. About 30-some years ago, 25, 30 years ago, I went to Hollywood to be an actor. And I got involved with a group of people. And one thing led to another. And I had the passion. And I was just on fire with doing this thing. And I was good at it. I was a good communicator. And I could identify. I could duplicate feelings. And I could bring it and make it real. All that stuff, that, that, that proficiency. And it was also therapeutic for me because there was so much stuff I needed to, to discharge and it gave me that opportunity. And looking back on it, I see it. When I was in it, I didn't see that. But I got into a play, was cast in, in a play with a young man that was just full of life, so vibrant. His vital life force was Patrick Swayze. And I played Patrick's best friend for about six months, eight months. We, the play ran for about a year. We had to replace him because he went off to do The Outsiders with Francis Ford Coppola and then he... He was, you know, he was pretty well launched at that point in time. But it was a wonderful experience, and he was an inspiration. When you're around people that are on fire, man, it, it sets you on fire. And you're around somebody that's operating at that level because he had, he had followed John Travolta on Broadway in Greece, and he was a trained dancer and a wonderful human being, just, a, just such an uh, inspiration to be around. But you realize he puts his pants on the same way you do. And so you can identify with it, and you can see, what, his good is possible for me. But what happened for me as I went along, and, and our support systems and our backgrounds were different, and I say this from the perspective of observation because I have no regret the way my life went, but at a certain point in time, when things started to go off track a little bit for me in the pursuit of acting, I, I went right back to, I'm not good enough. There's something wrong. I'm not okay. But what I also realized, and the benefit of it, I had worked a bit. I had done some, some things. People come up to me once in a while and say, hey, I saw you last night on TV, I was starred in Lethal Weapon 1 and 2, if you didn't know that. Well, I wouldn't say starred. <laughs> if you blink, you miss me. But anyway, I'm in there. And if you go, oh, you must be making a ton of money. Yeah, I get a check for about 67 cents now every time that thing plays. But if you add that up and you don't spend more than that each day, you know, you could probably retire on that. <laughs> I was tripped over here. But, but what happened for me, as I realized looking back, is it, I realized that I, I was fortunate enough to work in, in all of the places where I felt inadequate, where I felt I'm not okay. I was having success, and none of that changed. So here I was. Now I had a double problem. My whole life, I figured if I get to this point, everything will be fine. I will be complete, fill in everything, and I didn't feel good at all. In fact, I felt like, gee, I hope they don't find me out. And then I felt even worse, because the thing that I thought was going to be the solution was just adding to my problems. I never realized I'm not okay. What am I going to do? Unfortunately, I was starting to step into this teaching more deeply. And the more I stepped into it, the more I did the affirmative prayer, the more I did the meditations, the more I did the spiritual practice, the more I surrendered to the information that was being conveyed, the more I watched consciousness being modeled for me, that people that, you know, in many ways, when I first met them, I would measure them as not being successful because my roadmap for success was unbounded prosperity, you know, big home, you know, your private jet, all of those fantasies we get into. And yet as I, I looked at them, these, I, I found a group of people that were 
that had worked the teaching, that, whose shoulders I stand upon, that were tremendously joyful and grounded in the truth of their being. And it didn't matter what was happening. And they, they didn't forget who they were because they'd done enough of the work and they modeled for me it was possible to do the work. So it was possible to take I'm not okay and step into it and say, what's going on here? Why are you not okay? Why do you keep saying that to yourself? And then looking at that and using it because once you bring awareness to that, once you bring your full awareness to it, it shifts and changes it. John O'Donohue had this to say. John O'Donohue, one of my favorite authors, wonderful poet, passed away a year ago, but we have his writing, so he's still with us. And he said that Pascal's famous remark that most of our problems come from not being able to sit alone in a room and be still. Most of our problems come from not being able to sit alone in a room and be still. I remember the first book I read when I intentionally started on this path was Louise Hay, You Can Heal Your Life. And one of the exercises in it was to look in the mirror and look at yourself and love yourself. Man, that was hard. Look in the mirror and just see all the flaws. I look in the mirror now, I don't even recognize the guy anymore. I had dark hair at one point in time. (laughs) Everything was in different places a few years back. And you know what? It's all perfect. It's as it should be. But it is all the perception we bring to it. And if we're able to love ourselves, so it starts with the love story. Wanting to be seen, and I think when we're seen from that love, when we're seen from that health, that openness, that freedom, that joy, that celebration, whatever shows up is for us and I'm in with it. And I, I don't have to go back and put down the shame and the blame. O'Donohue says this. We should not look to foist some new practice onto our daily regime or believe in stages of spiritual growth. No such thing as stages of spiritual growth. But go deeper into the existence we have now. And if there is a spiritual journey, journey he notes, it would be only a quarter inch long, though many miles deep. The full spiritual life is not about how many monasteries you have visited or how many meditations you have done or how many labyrinths you have walked, but to what degree you have been willing to let go of fear and give something of yourself. So what happens for us is that fear becomes our mantra. And how do we let go of that fear? We we let go of the fear by stepping into it. And sometimes we need to sit with someone that is conscious enough to ground us in the truth of our being. Because it's scary. Fear is scary. He continues, We have become a culture of over-analysis of too much thinking when we should be living. The worst type of analysis is mixed with ideas of guilt and punishment. For example, when someone believes that God rewards them for long-suffering and carrying a cross. In fact, O'Donoghue says, This is more an example of wasting the right to freedom and possibility inherent in their nature. Negativity is like a blister on your life that you need not have, trapping you for years in the mindset of your own making. The greatest sin, he says, is the unlived life. Dr. Ernest Holmes used to say the same thing, to live life while we're alive. We've done things. Tanya, have you ever done anything that you feel bad about? Never? Okay, I know you're smiling. Oh, yeah? Okay. I thought you said never. Good for you. I'm not picking on you. But we all have. And so really, what does it in a practical sense assist us to carry it along with us? But we, we can use it. So we think if we move into it, to move closer to it, that it's going to get more painful. Last week I read a story from Laura uh, Berman's book and it said, you know, the, my fear of this was much worse than my experience of it. 
my fear of this experience was much worse than my experience of it. One of my uh, favorite guys on the planet is a guy named John Wellwood. I came across his writings years ago when I was going through some huge changes in my life. And he has this to say, and I think it's wonderful to know this. And Eckhart Tolle says the same thing. Victoria Castle in The Trance of Scarcity said the same thing. She said we carry it in our bodies. What can we put down? How can we... In the book, uh, Laura's book, she talks about Laura uh, Berman Fortang. She talks about her neighbor that she lived next door to in New York. And she said, you know, that, as she said, you know, romantic love's easy and sex is easy, but to love the people that really annoy us, that's hard, isn't it? The ones we just, oh my gosh, they're, just, they're out there again doing it, you know. I, I, one of my great learning stories that I had here in Edmonton, Laura and I and the, and the boys, we lived behind some people. And for a long time, the guy would never wave and say hi. And I'd wave, you know, and I'd be like, hey, man. And, and he would just ignore me. And I thought, okay, well, he's just not friendly. And, I, you know, and it, so I started to develop an opinion, right, telling myself a whole story about this guy. And, uh, and, you know, and finally she walks over one day with some vegetables from her garden and we're talking and she said, oh, and you got to meet my, and her name is Elmira. I've told the story before, but just such a great story. Every time I see them, I just appreciate them so much. And he, this is my husband, Jack, and Jack's blind. <laughs> oh, nice to meet you, Jack. <laughs> I don't wave at Jack anymore. Yeah. <laughs> But the stories I was making up about Jack, you know, and we do that. And I look at it and I think, what, what, what? You know, my practice is not that. My practice, if we're going to walk this path, is to see the divine in everyone despite their behavior. I may not love their behavior, but I know if I believe this, if I'm grounded in the truth of my being and I understand that I am the, I am the thing itself individualized, if I'm the thing itself, then my opportunity is to recognize that and celebrate it in everyone. I went home and I was visiting with my mother, and she's been watching a lot of television programs that I don't think she should be watching. But that's none of my business. But a lot of her conversation was fear-based around politics, around a president that doesn't know what he's doing, and he's going to, you know, and she's 87, and someone told her that if Barack Obama gets his health care plans passed, that he's going to decide who lives and who dies. But somebody's made this story up, and she's grabbed onto it because she likes to have something to chew on. And so I said, Mom, you know, she went on a bit, and Laura and I were sitting with her. We had uh, breakfast with her one morning, and I just said, Mom, I don't think that's true. I don't, I, that doesn't represent what I've heard. But, you know, you're free to believe what you want to believe, but I don't think that's accurate. But it was all fear-based. We were watching this morning, watching Sunday morning, I watched a short segment, and I love that. That's a, um, a catalog show, and they always have really interesting and, and, and for the most part, really positive stories. But they were talking about this group in the United States that is just in, in radical rage and terror of what's happening. And they're marching, and they're, they're accusing um, the, the administration, and of course, Obama, who's not an American citizen, according to their thinking, and he's a Muslim, and all these things that are not true. But there's a bit of information that they can take and run with it, and they're just in this sort of hysteria. And I'm not here to do a political commentary, but it's another example of how fear plays itself out on the planet. The other thing has happened because we have fine-tuned communication, just like my mother. She cherry-picks what she watches, and so she only hears one opinion. And that's dangerous. I think for all of us, I think it's dangerous because I think we need to be inclusive. We honor all traditions here, all traditions. I did a wedding here yesterday afternoon, and the young man who was doing it said, My family's Christian. Could, we put a, could you put a cross up? So I had the guys at the back put a cross up. 
I said, you bet, it's your wedding. We honor Christianity here. If it had been a Muslim, we would have put something up for Muslim. It's their celebration. It's their environment. But to be inclusive enough and to understand, see, I don't agree with the, the opinions that are going on when it becomes that radical and that enraged, but I will, go, I will go to my grave defending their right to say what they want to say because they have the right to do that. Because if you're going to live in a free society, you've got to let everyone be heard. And so there's, but it's easy to run with the fear. And then I'm not good enough. And so we need somebody else to save us. We're here to save ourselves. We're here to wake up and keep waking up day after day after, despite where we fall short. To be able to say, in this moment, I'm okay. I'm confused right now. I don't know. What, I haven't a clue what this guy's talking about. God bless you if that's true for you. That's where you get to start with. Start with the confusion. I don't know what you're talking about. So when Laura Berman Fortangs was talking about her neighbor, and she said, I didn't like this woman. She had this curly, this curly chestnut-colored hair, big blue eyes, kind of chubby. And she left stuff in the, in the hallways, and our hallway was very narrow. And we never talked, but I just didn't like her. And so one day... She came out, and the woman was out on the veranda or out on the fire escape in New York City smoking a cigarette. And she looked at her, and all of her hair was gone. And she realized immediately, this woman's doing cancer. So she walked over to her, and she said, I've never seen you smoke before. I said, yeah, I, you know, I shouldn't be smoking, but I am. And she started to talk about what she was going through with the cancer, and she said, this cancer has taught me so much. So many things that I've learned about myself. And she said, I'm embarrassed and I'm so sorry I have left all that stuff in the hallway that's been in your way. I apologize for that. And she said, I have a problem. I can't even invite you into my apartment right now because I can't let go of anything. I can't let go of anything. And I think it's such a great metaphor for us, for me in my life. The Victoria Castle stuff, I look all the time within my body. Where am I hanging on to something in my body? What story am I hanging on to? What fear am I hanging on to? Because if I continue that, if I can't let go of anything, just like this woman's apartment, I get so cluttered. Nobody can walk through there. There's not another idea that can flow through my brain, through my mind. I see it, and so it's, for me, the journey is always about wherever there's a restriction. What's going on here? What's the question? And follow it back. So I'm not good enough. So I can look back at my experience with Patrick Swayze. I can look back at my life and where things have shown up where, where at the time I thought this is a failure and realize, you know what, that was the result of the embodied subjective consciousness I was at that time. That's what we always live from. And so the journey, I believe, is to be able to stand in all of it, grounded, so radically present in your physical being, in your, in your consciousness, that there's nothing that can move you. That's what Jesus said. I am not moved by this. He was grounded in his divine connection with spirit at such a, at a beautiful level. And you see, whether he lived or not, because I don't know, I wasn't there, but I know what he was teaching. I know that that story got communicated, and that was part of the filter. Many people come in here and want to know if we're Christian or what we are. We're, we're Christian and more, as Dr. Holmes used to say. But loving Jesus is not enough. Loving our wives and husbands and children is not enough. It's got to, we got to take it to the world. We've got to be so grounded in who and what we are. We have to be so clear. We have to know that our, our thoughts, each thought is a prayer. Each thought is a prayer. And so many times for me, before I pray, I've got to get my consciousness right. I've got to get a line that set myself up. Because I'm not good enough will come floating back in. And I want to live in the openness. I want to live in the freedom. I want to live in the dance. I want to live in the joy and the celebration. I did a wedding here, this, uh, two weddings yesterday. I guess 9, 19, 9 was really important for a lot of people. It's just like the cross going up on the, the screen. 
You know what I know? It doesn't mean anything except what it means for you. That's what gives it meaning. It's just a symbol. Numbers, letters for people to get married on. Easy dates to remember. I know when they did 888 and 777. A lot of weddings. We have people that do weddings all the time here. I know they're booked solid. You know, do six, seven weddings on that day. What does it mean? Well, it's meaning because we give it meaning. It's subjective. It's perception. But what's so important, I think, is to realize not to run from the fear, but to step into it. And if we step into it, we're not going to live in it because I'll tell you what happens. And John Wellwood talks about this in his book. And I, I just love John Wellwood. He wrote a book called Love and Awakening, one of the most powerful books in my life. If someone were to ask me what one book would you never want, if, if you didn't know about it, you'd feel like, or didn't have a chance to experience it, you'd feel regret. That's probably the one book for me. This book is called Perfect Love, Imperfect Relationships. Your openness is more powerful than the feeling you're opening to. Your openness is more powerful than the feeling you're opening to. The sadness, the sorrow. Someone was going out today after the first service just sobbing and sobbing in line. I said, good for you. Just open to it because you can get through this because you're okay. You're magnificent. But we don't hear that as kids. We don't hear that growing up. It scares us to tell our kids that, doesn't it? It's like, you know, my dad used to say, it's like giving you a compliment, Pat, is like putting out a, a fire with a can of gasoline. Openness to fear is much bigger and stronger than the fear itself. And this discovery puts you in touch with your capacity for strength, kindness, stability, and understanding in the face of whatever you're going through. This is conscious suffering. So you don't like the word suffering. But what we do when we do our affirmations and then we go back into the suffering, we just deny it and say, I'm perfect, whole, and complete. And then our stomach's churning. We're ner nervous, fidgeting. And we repeat, I'm perfect, whole, and complete. Even though I, that's on the top of the layer of what I'm feeling. But it's important to move into it, to be conscious, to bring our consciousness to whatever is going on. If you can't let your experience happen, it will release its knots. If you can let your experience happen, it will release its knots and unfold, leading to a deeper, more grounded experience of yourself. No matter how painful or scary your feelings appear to be, your willingness to engage with them draws forth your essential strength, leading a more life-positive direction. Struggling against your feelings only keeps you tossing around on the stormy surface of yourself, disconnected from your larger being. Simply acknowledging the sensations in your body and touch them with your awareness while staying aware of your breathing. Yes, this is where, what's here. When you give up the struggle to ward off your experience, you start to relax and allow the feelings to be there. And I share this with you because I watch people take our teaching. We have a number of students that have got into the class. And I want to encourage you and be an advocate so that you can, you can be with whatever it is, whatever's going on for you, and trust it. And you'll be in an environment that, that it's safe and supportive to understand whatever's happening for you is right and perfect. It's necessary for you, all of us. We can't have the light without the darkness. We can't have the joy without the sorrow. So we're not a teaching that denies any of that, but we're a teaching, I believe, that supports everyone to move into that with, the, with the spiritual tools to say, you know what? This is my experience, but this isn't who I am. These are the facts of my life, but facts change all the time. Because it's really about how big your idea of God is. How big is your idea of God? If we truly believe that anything is possible, we're the individualized expression of the one. Anything and everything is possible. Anything, any healing, any shift, any change at the level of consciousness. Why would we spend one minute worrying? 
Why would we? And I, yet I fall into it at times, start thinking, hmm, gee whiz. And, and I have to bring myself back to the knowing. Just to the knowing, to stand in that knowing, stand in the groundedness of the truth of our being. And it's a beautiful place to be. Whatever it is, it's perfect. They wanted me yesterday at the second wedding, they wanted me to dress up like Elvis to do the wedding. <laughs> so I called around. And fortunately, there were no Elvis costumes available in town. <laughs> but I thought about it. I really did. I thought about it. And they said, oh, everybody's going to be dressed in costumes. It's going to be a big celebration. And we're going to do a big Vegas motif at the, the reception. And it'll be wonderful. And so I, you know, I thought, okay, well, I'll probably, I'm just going to be wearing a nice suit and a tie. And, and nobody walked in dressed up like anything other than what they were. I would have been the only one there with a costume on. <laughs> We could find, uh, I think it was called, what was it, Sue Snappy, uh, Vegas Stud or something? What was it? High Rolling Hunk. That was available. <laughs> and I looked at it. I said, I'm going to look like Guido the Bagman doing this uh, wedding. High Rolling Hunk. I tell you. It was a great wedding. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. And the room was just alive with, with, with the spirit with, to celebrate life. But why don't we stay grounded in that awareness more often? We grind and grind away on ourselves because we've been conditioned that way. We were raised as kids. And see, the God that, I, that I'm in relationship with, I keep developing and I keep developing. And then I keep standing grounded into this flow of life that is just powerful and wonderful. And, when, and what I know is I take that awareness with me. When I'm done with this body, I, you know, people ask me, it was a Q&A on Wednesday night. We're doing Wednesday night now, 7 o'clock. It was wonderful. I did a Q&A. Someone said, or no, it was with Reverend Sue Rubin, that, that, the Wednesday before. Do you believe in the immortality of the body? Oh, man, I want to use this model up really well, but I'm going to trade it in. This is a 1953. I'm coming back in a 2020, 2030, I don't know. It's going to have a navigation system built in, heated leather seats. I'm telling you, I will never be cold wherever I go. You know, it's not about the form. It's not about the cross. It's not about the Elvis outfit. It's about, it is about the consciousness we are. And to be able to work with ourselves and look at our life experiences. All these great people. John Wellwood has spent 30 years as a, as a therapist. He said this is the number one most important thing. You cannot have a loving relationship with anyone else until you're love here. And it's not based on personality. And it's not based on conditions. It is unconditional love. Whatever shows up, the ability to love it and celebrate it, even the sad stuff, even the sorrowful things, to understand. Patrick Swayze passing away, you know, the, my memory of that guy is so sweet. We had so much fun together. And I used to walk, you know, I, I moved on to something else, and he just kept going. And, and, and his wife, Lisa, beautiful people, his talents and gifts, and his mom just nurtured him from a little boy to dance and dance well and play football, stand in both camps. And sweet memories I have. So I've just been touched every time I see his picture. And I remember sitting next to him every night doing this play for month after month and the, and the excitement and the joy of people coming in and watching it. And when I, I, I did that to show with him, I got an agent, got a manager, started to work. The magic started to happen for me as well. But you come together with people and they raise your game and all of a sudden the doors start to open. But that's the God I believe in. I believe that there's a, there's a presence and a power in my life that is guiding and directing me. And when I get clear enough about the idea that is longing for expression, 
then the people, places, and opportunities and resources to pull that off show up. The reason that, that, that I'm so passionate about our teaching is, is I know there's opportunities for me to grow into awarenesses and new ideas. And as I do that, everything shifts and changes. I met with someone this week talking about work on the board with us, on our board of uh, trustees. And I said, the number one thing that I know I must continue to do, and I'm joyful about it, and I, I celebrated this, continue to grow. Just continue to grow. Do my own spiritual work. I'm a work in progress just like you. And share that and be honest and open and continue to nurture an environment that, where there's a safety and there's, a, uh, there's an honoring and a cherishing so people can come in here and say, man, I, I need help. Well, we might have some ideas that can help you. We might have people you can sit with. I got a great compliment from one of our teachers. Someone came up to me uh, between classes and said, you know, I came from another center. And I did a, a class this week. And it was amazing, the level of consciousness and teaching that is available here. And I said, absolutely. Absolutely. Every year that we teach, myself included, we get better. We get grounded in the clarity and the truth. We continue to grow and grow and grow. And I think that needs to be one of our focuses because what we want is I want to see millions of people performing miracles at the level of consciousness. The miracles are really just normals, but we call them miracles. You know what I mean. So we won't even call them miracles. Great things happen. That's just a normal around here. Because we don't, we don't do that. We don't do what the race culture will tell you to do, to be scared and in competition and fearful and hoarding and lack and limitation. But the God that I know, the God that I'm in relationship is, is pulling me forward and propelling me forward in ways that are just powerful and wonderful. And when you surrender to that, you say, you know what, I want to live in the openness. I don't live in the fear anymore. When I find myself in fear, it's strange for me. It's strange for me. I'll go there. But, you know, as soon as I, I have the awareness, enough, enough practice to bring myself back and say, you know what, I am grounded in this present moment awareness. Whatever is happening is happening for me. And that's powerful and wonderful. Because God becomes to us what we are to it. And she's beautiful and wonderful and unconditionally loving. But how much good can we accept when we're in the worry and the anxiety, the fear and the doubt? I'm not good enough. I'm not okay. You're okay. Each and every one. Right now, wherever you are, I don't care what your conditions are of your life, those are facts. Your spirit is intact. That pristine essence of the infinite that you showed up with, that you contain and always contain and always will contain, is perfect right now. And the more that you can reveal that through your openness, the blessings you are to the planet. Dr. Beckwith talked about it. That's what we're here for. And so we do it in our daily moments. There's a little gal that used to work at Second Cup over here, and I was telling Jordan the other day, I said, you know, I could never quite figure out, because she was always so bubbly and happy. And so here's where, you know, where I, my, the doubting Thomas shows up. I'm thinking, well, this girl is either really on top of her game in, in love with life, or there's just a circuit that's not firing. Because she, <laughs> she was always so bubbly and wonderful. Every time I went in there, just on fire with life, running around, just so happy to be serving coffee. And I always ask them their names when I go over there. I, just, I love to know their names. I love to know everybody's name. You know, I, I work on everybody's name here, but I love to know people's names. Your name is, is who you are. So lo and behold, Laura and I go to the, uh, the Mayfield Dinner Theater. And there she is, singing the lead as Shania Twain in this show. And then that energy that she was serving coffee with over there is on stage. And I said, look at this. That's Samantha from the Second Cup. And then I'm reading the paper. We get home from that, and I go, that was amazing. Beautiful singing voice. I get home, and I read the paper the next morning, and it said that they, did the, they redid that big uh, country concert that, that was blown down, and someone was killed, I believe. They redid it at Rexall a couple, the, 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 day, uh, the same evening. And they said that so a songwriter, Samantha King, sang her, her song she wrote for the event. 
And I thought, this woman is on fire with her creativity and her gift to share with the world. But there's me looking at it thinking, you know, I, I hope she's okay. <laughs> I hope they didn't just let her out for the afternoon, if you know what I mean. <laughs> you know, isn't it great how life is? Because I start making up the story. So, you know, for all of us, we make up stories about ourselves. Let's make up really good ones. Let's make up really good ones. Let's get up this... Every day, let's get up and go, you know what? Despite what's going on in my life, despite what my check account looks like, my housing situation, my relationship with my significant other, with my children, with my grandparents, whatever it is, I am okay. Because I know who I am and whose I am. Yeah, say that with me. I am... Yeah. Let's get up tomorrow morning and every morning. There's a beautiful poem by Thich Nhat Hanh. He talks about every morning, my gift is joy to someone. Every morning, I find a way to give joy to someone. And every afternoon, I comfort someone who's struggling. It's called his refugee poem. He was kicked out of Vietnam. He was declared at the Antichrist by the, by the Pope at one point in time. This beautiful, humble Buddhist monk from Vietnam. Finally, every morning, I, I touch someone with joy. Every afternoon, I comfort someone who's suffering. Because then it takes us out of ourselves. And we realize we're the emissary. We're the thing itself. We are the Christ walking this planet right now. He ain't coming again. He's here now. In your form and my form. That's where he is. It's a beautiful thing. I thank you so much for being in this community. I thank you for your love, your life vitality, to stay grounded in who and what you are. It is powerful. It is wonderful. And the world needs you. So share it. So it is.